Well, good morning to you. We are continuing our series on the habits of happiness in the, the book of Philippians, considered one of the most joy-filled books in the Bible that the Apostle Paul was the author to. And uh, I was thinking of joyful experiences as we look at the, today the topic of God's promise to the generous. Now, you probably think for yourselves, what's the most generous gift that you've received or has the greatest impact? And I thought I'd share a story back in, uh, when was it? Probably in the mid-90s. I, was, uh, I had my first job out of college. I was working for a ministry agency in upstate New York, and I had a livable wage. It was not something that I was making a lot of money from, for those that have been there before. And it was a couple years into it where my car blew a head gasket, my little Toyota Corolla, and the cost to fix it far exceeded the price that I paid. So I was in kind of a dilemma because I had not really had a lot saved for a car. Um, so I had a, my first question is, why God? Why did this happen? You know my finances more than I do. But by evening, my, my blood pressure had fallen to a low, and I began a conversation with God about what would happen next. And so my, my prayer was, God, I'm going to ask that you'd help me find a vehicle that I can purchase or that I can have. And I only have two criteria. I'd gone from you know, sports cars earlier to other cars that were cheaper. And finally, I, get to, I just want to have good gas mileage and run well. That's it. No colors, no rims, no nothing. I have to have anything special. And so I said, God, if you could help me with that. If you want to donate, find one that's donated, I could fix up. That'd be happy as well. But I'm asking you to provide with the understanding that you owe me nothing. I'm not owed anything. I have no right. But as my Heavenly Father and not being able to call my parents and say, could you wire me money? Uh, I will do, save money each month until I can afford to buy one in a practical way. And uh, that began my, my prayer for the next few days. And uh, a couple of days later, my roommate, who had just switched jobs, Paul, went from uh, a nonprofit to an engineering company. And so he bought a new car, and he decided to sell his car. And I don't know how many of you are young enough to remember the days where you put ads in the paper to sell cars, where you could look up ads and, and see what was out there. And he put his car for sale. And I said, Paul, would you mind if I bought your car? And uh, he said, well, let me think about it. And uh, so he came back two nights later, a couple of nights later, and he said, Rick, do you want it? I said, yeah, I'd love to have it. I could pay this much per month, down, third, and then over the next two months, I'll deduct it from your rent, and we'll call it good. He stopped, and he said, you know what? Yesterday I was thinking, I felt like God said I should give you my car. I'm like, no, you don't have to. I can pay. He said, no, I feel like I need to give you this car. It isn't inexpensive and it was a little honda crx and if you know those cars they can hold two people they run well against mileage and that's about it there is no room for anything else and it's something changed in my faith because i said god only you and i know what we talked about and i was ready to go this way and, and i didn't put god to a test saying you have to i just said would you be able to somehow provide and that was a marker where i said well god you actually hear me i mean i've known that god hears us but to respond that way, and my, my roommate, who had not heard my prayers, to be moved that way really changed how I prayed. I said, God, that is the most generous gift that you've given me in a, in a practical need of my life. Generosity we're going to talk about today. The definition of generosity is this. Generosity is the habit of giving without expecting anything in return. It can involve offering time, assets, or talents to aid anyone in need. Often equated with charity as a virtue, generosity is widely accepted in society as a desirable trait. How many like to hang out with people who are generous? Remember the first time someone bought you a meal and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. 
McDonald's could be great. <laughs> well, today I want to talk about the, the big idea of my message is this. You can't outgive God. Generosity begins and ends with God. And I'd encourage us to try. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave. Giving started with God when he gave his mercy through his son Jesus. And there's blessings that trickle down from that. Now, a little background on Philippians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi that he helped start. He raised disciples. He put in leaders in place. And he invested a lot of time into this church. So there's a lot of affection that, that went back and forth. It was during this two-year stint in jail around circa AD 62 that he writes this letter. And he's in jail for preaching the gospel, something unjust. And so this relationship for, between Paul and the church. And so he pines this letter. Help them read in, in Philippians chapter 4. You can follow on your devices or on the screen above. It says in verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now they receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. A few observations about generosity and then we'll talk about the promise. The first one is this. Generosity starts with knowing the needs of others. You cannot begin to understand generosity if you don't know there's needs that you can meet. And this Philippine church had a relationship with Paul, and he says, man, you remember me in my, my distress, my troubles. You were aware of my needs, and we have a relationship going on. And so look beyond ourselves to needs around us, the beginning of, of where generosity begins. starts. They were faithful to this pastor who had helped them begin their church. And what's interesting about this group of people, the Macedonians, is that they were, by a class, poor people. And you would not think that people of this level of poverty would be so generous. But they might have been poor in resource, but they were rich in faith. And so their faith was commensurate with the amount of money they wanted to give. And so we believe in what Paul said. He invested us. We want to give back. So much of Paul says, I, had, I invested in many churches, and you were the only one who knew of my needs when I was in distress. How many of you have ever been in distress? And you're like, I need God. Paul's in distress. And this church came through for him. And now he's in Rome. They were concerned. They have empathy. And look at the needs. And Evergreen, you've been generous. We've got tables back here full of food from the food drive that will be given out to families for our food bank in a couple of weeks for Thanksgiving. Next Sunday, we begin our drive for our precariously housed homeless high school students. We'll have gift bags that you can fill and shop for kids across our district of over 140 of them that don't have a home or place to lay their head but are gen- grateful for the gifts. Being aware of people's needs. People, leaders in our church have asked, hey, what can we do? We learned of needs and we said, how can we help meet them? Reminds me of my friend Asher who was a client of mine at a, a private bank in Beverly Hills that I worked at for six years. 
who's a multimillionaire, at his 13th birthday, he was given a six-unit apartment complex in New York to manage. I think uh, for 13th birthday, I had a nice new bicycle. And uh, so there's a little bit of difference there between our lives. But he came to me one day, and he's like, hey, what's new with you? And uh, I was part of a church plant and about to lead a, a trip to China and Tibet. And uh, I shared that with him. And he said, you're going to Tibet? I mean, I know you're a believer and a pastor, and what are you going to be doing there? I said, we're going to work with some missionaries and setting up things and uh, so forth. And he was Jewish. And uh, he said, well, can I give? I said, to, to my trip? I said, do you want to? He goes, yeah. I said, well, why? And not, not that I, I don't want the gift. He said, Rick, I know that if I give to you, because God's in this, he'll bless me. My business will be increased. I said, what do you mean? He says, I've had enough business experience to know that when I've done things right by God, I can't add up why things work. I said, Asher, I've never met anyone like you that had that kind of faith to figure things out. Because I believe in God, not like you, Rick. I just know when I do this to help and need and honor God, and then these business deals, and I have record profits that should not line up in the amount of time invested, I know there's a God. I said, Asher, you've taught me something. He says, I only have one caveat. What's that? Just don't convert any Jews. <laughs> Just leave my people alone. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to China and Tibet. I doubt there's any Jews in the high Himalayas. He says, got yourself a deal. But he asked for the needs because he wanted to look for opportunities to give. And it was a relationship look beyond himself. And we had a wonderful relationship. Got to share Christ with him. And he encouraged me. I encouraged him. Second thing that generosity does is it meets urgent, practical needs, according to Paul. It meets urgent, practical needs. And Paul was in distress. He probably needed food, water, clothing, supplies. We don't know exactly what it was. But when you're in distress, it's probably the bare minimum of what he needed. Prior, prior to this, Paul was a tent maker in his earlier years where he had his own business and could support himself with this business. And here, being locked up for two years, he didn't have those means, and he was dire need, in dire need of support. Which is interesting is we have a ministry called Evergreen Food Bank that you may or may not know of, that after this next service, uh, weekly, hundreds of families come each month to receive uh, the benefit of having food from donated grocery stores and vendors across our county. There are teams of volunteers that come from 9 in the morning on Sundays to sort food. There's people that are greeters and help people negotiate and then clean up. And there are many, many drivers that go through the week. And they, they pick up groceries and they bring it here and touch as many, many families. In a few minutes, I'll share some of the opportunities for you to get involved. If you're looking for a place once, twice a month to go and serve urgent needs. I was, um, is Sean Marie here? Shamari, would you stand up? Shamari's a director. Would you give her applause? Thank you. Shamari tirelessly serves, works like the rest of us, and then coordinates pickups of various grocery stores so there's food for many, many families in our community. One story that Anita Campos, who also helps, shared with me this week that I thought I'd like to share with you. Anita writes, I had a young mother who faithfully came to our food bank and one day I had mentioned that she was having marital problems. The following Sunday, she came to me to tell me that her and her husband had separated 
and now was left with her five children. She said she didn't know what she would have done if it wasn't for the food bank at Evergreen because she didn't have the monies to pay for the groceries for a family of six. Time had passed. Now she's a volunteer in our food bank. And she's so proud to help those who need groceries or just needs to pick up some bread for their sandwiches for their kids' lunches. Jesus has provided all the food in our food bank so we can provide it to others to help children and families help with their budgets of groceries, whether it's a box of food, snacks for children, or a loaf of bread. Meeting your needs. Thirdly, generosity is personal. Paul has a relationship with this Philippine church that goes deep. People in Philippi gave to their local church, and because of the relationship, they said, we want to give this to Paul. How do we get it to them? Head to him. They were personally invested and finally decided, the only way we can do this is send Epaphroditus. So they sent one of their best guys. Some say it's about an 800-mile journey that he took off with a letter, resources, and supplies, and to hand deliver to them, to Paul, and encourage him. There was no FedEx or UPS to, to curry things. This took a sacrifice. And we've seen that sometimes you can't just give a check, you have to go. God says, get up. We need to send someone on our behalf to meet a need. Who will go? And I'm sure it wasn't easy for Epaphroditus to say, I'll leave my family or friends and take off walking or however he went. But the destination was so valuable in meeting Paul and encouraging him. Paul writes, man, I'm so glad he came. Thanks for meeting my need. Sometimes generosity means we have to get up and go ourselves. For example, last month we had a team to go to Mexico and uh, to build a house for a needy family. And including the cost of the trip was the price of the house, so it, it was more than just a, a, a plane fare down. And Mitch Candido, one of our ushers and greeters, went, it was his first trip that he'd ever gone on. And he was uh, kind of wavering and deciding to go and finally said, oh, we got to do this. We're going to sacrifice, we'll go. And he was such a joy to be around because was, everything was new to him. He was so excited. And at the end of our, our, our build in two days, we gave him the privilege of handing the keys to his family on behalf of our team, saying, here's a gift for you and the people of Evergreen that supported us. And he got a little emotional, and they got a little emotional, and we, we prayed together, and they walked in their house. And then a few minutes later, we walked in as their first guest to pray with them and to bless the house. And Mitch said, I, I'm older than most, and I've never had a chance to do this, and I love it. But it was at a sacrifice because I left my job for two days. He came back. He said that uh, God blessed his business and more than covered the cost of the trip. But he would have done it without that. Because I had to go to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I had to go and see for myself. And while we helped his family, look at the team members that went. We got so much more out of it by going. So the sacrifice, yeah. We were sent by others that let us go. And I pray we'd be a church that here, at the food bank, near in our community and across the world, we'd be willing to say, God, I'll go if you want me to. I'll, I'll make it personal so I can see the hands of people touch lives that need help. While thinking of this generosity, I was uh, reading a, a journal on psychology and the benefits of, of uh, generosity. In a blog... Uh, Called Psych Alive, the author writes, year after year, more and more studies are highlighting the benefits of generosity on both the physical and mental health. Not only does generosity reduce stress, 
support one's physical health, enhance one's sense of purpose, and naturally fight depression, it is also shown to increase one's lifespan. Being generous makes you less stressful. Stinginess creates stress. Gives you a sense of purpose. I'm giving to something beyond me. I'm giving to God. I like the way it summarizes it at the end here. Being generous distracts us from the critical inner voices barrage of nasty thoughts and creates a strong argument against it as well. When we're generous, all those thoughts of I shouldn't do this, I need it, they don't need it. The moment you give, it, it just silences all those voices that we have in our minds that say you shouldn't do this. I says go, do it. We feel good about it. So psychology is saying God was right all along. God thought it was a privilege and a joy to sacrifice his son to give to us. He says, you want to walk in blessing? Be generous. Your times, talents, treasures, forgiveness, whatever it is. Fourthly, generosity is a natural part of worship to God. Paul writes that this gift is a a sweet aroma. It's just so pleasant. It's an acceptable acceptable sacrifice. God sees this as not just a cast off of what loose change. It's not an afterthought. Paul says, God sees this, this is acceptable. I like this. And says, it's pleasing to God. God delights in seeing us give with a heart that says, I want to make this count. We see earlier in the Gospels where Jesus is at the temple and he's seeing people give. These uh, Pharisees, these wealthy ones are dropping coins and he notices that this old woman comes with two little mites and she puts it in the offering and walks away sheepishly. Jesus says, she gave more than all of them. She gave all she had. And lets me know that God notices what we give. Not the amount to compare, but the quality of our heart to say, God, I trust you. I believe more than the show of it afterwards. I learned this lesson early in life thanks to my parents who were, were quite generous with their time, talents, and treasures. And I had a youth pastor who, at, uh, when I was about 12 years old, went on a trip to China for six months with his wife into Inner Mongolia to do some really cool stuff. And I, I looked up to him greatly for the impact he had on my life. And uh, my parents said, Rick, we want to support him. Do you want to support him as well? I'm like, Dad, I, I only have a paper route. You know, I don't make much. And when I go collect, sometimes people don't open the door. And so my profits go down even more. And I said, sure. And so I, I committed to $10, and I was really embarrassed because I felt like it was insignificant, but it's what I could do above my tithe. And my youth pastor was really encouraged, and he was grateful that he responded. And I remember getting the updates and being excited by feeling I was a part of this. Though it did not materialize much in light of all his expenses, their expenses, it was a tiny portion, but it was what I could do. He came back, and he began to tell me his stories of China, and I had never done anything like that before. So I, I started telling his stories to other people, and I was not as good as him in telling his stories. And finally he said, Rick, I hope someday you get to go, and you get to see God do things in and through your life. As a blessing for how you encouraged us by just being a young man in our youth group. Fast forward 10 years. I'm 22 years old and I'm, I've been asked to lead a team to go to Spain for the Olympics. and work at a drug rehab center with a bunch of students. And I, I agreed to go and I was excited to go. And my, my fundraising was not on par with where I thought it would be even a few weeks out. I was just over half and it's about a week, 10 days left. And I'm getting nervous about thinking, God, did I really hear you right? Should I be doing this? Um, things are not coming in. I don't have a rich uncle I can call and say, could you just drop me a check with 
leave blank them out, and I could fill it in. My parents had given. I had worked hard that summer as a college student, and I was starting to doubt that I should do this. And it was a weekend before we were supposed to go, and I was at a church conference, and I went forward one night for prayer, and I was discouraged. And a friend of mine who's a youth pastor came to pray for me. He goes, Rick, what's going on? I said, I'm going on this trip, and I'm, I need funds. It has not worked out. So he prayed a great prayer of faith, and then he said, hey, on Tuesday night of this family camp, I will be leading the service, and so why don't I invite you to come up and share? We can receive an offering, and we'll see how that turns out. I'm like, that's great. That's exactly what I needed. Tuesday night comes. I sit in the front row. I get invited to come and speak. I sit back down, and the service continues, and my friend, Victor, forgets to invite for an offering. So I'm sitting in the front row just kind of bewildered, like, is this a trick, God? What's happening here? There's one of these. So the service ends, and I, I was disappointed. I thought, I'm just going to run out of my room and have a talk with God about this because I, I felt confused. And on my way out, I get stopped by a guy that I kind of knew, and he said, so you're going on this trip. How long is it for? What do you need? How much do you need left? Uh, and then the trigger came back of my family. I was always embarrassed to talk about money. It's kind of a shameful thing to be in need. Uh, and so that, that surfaced in me, and as I'm talking to him, my need of $1,000, I took 10% off, and I told this guy I needed $900. I don't know why. I can't explain to you. I was just, $900 seems much less than 1000 when you're 22 years old. <laughs> so I said, I need $900. I said, why do you ask? And he said, well, I'm sitting there, and I felt like God said, I need, you need $1,000. So now I'm a lying missionary. <laughs> I'm going overseas to serve God, and I'm lying to people about what kind of leader am I? I felt three things. One, I felt so unworthy. I said, for the moment I signed up for this trip, God, you knew I'd fail this test. You were hoping I would make it. I felt disappointed in myself that I'd let him down and brought confusion. Like, who are you? And after that settled down, I said, God, thank you. You provided. Money at that point was hard to believe for, hard to trust God for. And that night I made a decision, God, I'm never going to doubt you for money. You've shown me that you can provide in ways. Talking to this guy. And he was kind of happy about it. He's like, I'm so thankful that I actually heard God. I mean, I'm excited for you, but I'm excited for me that I actually could hear what God was saying and I could respond and it was right on. So he's worshiping God for hearing, and I'm worshiping God for his mercy on me and for this guy being generous. And I made a decision that night, God, I will do my best to never doubt you because you've proven so clearly today that you're my God and you can take care of me. Now, I've been times, we've had seasons where we've not had work, and finances have been tough. So it's not like there's been no challenges, but I've known, God, you've been faithful. And for those of you who are challenged here this morning, call upon God. Worship him in the midst of your challenges and watch him come through. He was worshiping God and I was as well. So we had the four elements of the generosity, but the fifth is the promise. Generosity begins and ends with God because he is the source. The promise that Paul writes to Philippians, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the same Paul who, on a missionary journey, runs into a storm and he, his, his people on the boat, they're shipwrecked. 
They're floating in the ocean. God says, you won't die. He's been beaten and bruised, and he can say, my God will meet your needs because he's done it for me time and time again. And if he's, you're generous and he's your God, he's going to provide for you. In fact, your generosity, I'm asking God to put it in your account in heaven. And he uses a, a transactional business term, a credit to your account because you've cared for you. Not because he, Paul especially says, because your heart's right and you're giving to God. And I want, him to, I want you to see in the midst of your giving that God's going to meet your needs. How? I don't know. The St. Paul who's sitting in jail has the grace to say, I've given so much and now I'm humbled to receive from this Philippian church. The St. Paul who's in jail unjustly has the grace to forgive the people who put him in jail. In fact, he's reading this joyful letter to people to be encouraged in the midst of challenges while he's suffering and sitting in a jail by himself. Those are part of the riches that God says, my grace is sufficient. You have what you need. God's not stingy. A few years ago, I had the privilege to go to Bangladesh, one of the poorest countries in the world, to visit some projects that we had given money to as an NGO. And while at that time, I, I slept over to the city of Kulna to visit a four-square pastor who was the national leader of all the churches in Cambodia. There were 32 at the time. Benjamin is his name. He had a missing eye from an accident at work. And he had helped start 32 churches with micro-enterprises, giving pastors a cow, or a few chickens, or if they had a skill that they could begin to cultivate so it would be self-employed while they worked in the ministry. Bangladesh is a, is a country that's in a river delta that's flooded a lot. There's a lot of man- monsoons. You see a picture here of a, a monsoon that happened a few years ago. And when destruction happens there, they don't have the Red Cross or Salvation Army to come in. They got to do it themselves. And they've seen loss of lives, livelihood, family, possessions. It takes a lot of work overcome but they do and talking to Benjamin one day I heard a story of him that forever marked me it was after 2006 when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and then south that he called his pastors and said there's a hurricane in New Orleans and saw the pictures he goes let's begin to pray for a four square church and other churches in that area they got to strengthen him help him to be lost a minimal loss of life possessions. Two weeks later, after a result of this prayer from the churches, they said, we need to do something about this. So he announced at the end of the month, we're going to take the last offering of the month, we're going to collect together, and we're going to send it to, to America to help them. Those 32 churches gave $300, about $9 per church. And they were so thrilled that they could be a part. They said, we know what it's like to be in a monsoon and lose everything. We're going to not only pray, we want to do something about it. So let's gather our resources. God will take care of us, and let's be a part of the solution and bless our brothers and sisters in America. There's a man who understands that my God will supply all his need. I saw recently a report that the number of churches in Bangladesh has tripled since then. There's now well over 100 churches. How God provides, I don't know. But the gospel is preaching. People are getting saved. There's miracles among the Hindus and Muslims where Christianity is 0.4% of the population. Benjamin and his team, they're like, we're going to keep going. We're going to figure it out. God's going to provide somehow. And when I went to go and kind of share some encouragement, I felt like I was the one who learned. This is a man of faith. When challenges is hard, he says, God's going to provide somehow. And we're going to keep going, keep going to God. 
And if you're here this morning and you're struggling, the promise that God gives, he will supply all your need according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. To him be the glory. The purpose of his generosity is so we can say, God, you're amazing. You are amazing. And that's a promise. I just want to share a few thoughts with you as we close today to consider and reflect on. What inspires generosity in your life? An urgent need? Or a surplus of resources when you say, God, if you bless me, I will give more. If you open my calendar, I'll spend more time serving or an ability. Or question, what hinders your generosity that you want to address? Busyness, your calendar is too full, something has to change. Fear, what would happen and God would ask of you? Or debt, that's the case, sign up for Financial Peace University. Learn how to work with your finances to have margin. Three, can you identify a time when you recognize God's generosity towards you in your life? And how did you respond? Can you name it and recall what it was like? Fourth, where are you challenged to grow in your personal generosity today? In the giving of your time, your skill or ability, or your resources? The big idea is that you can't give God. So at least start trying. Because it begins and ends with him. If you're looking for a practical next step, locally, the Evergreen Food Bank, some of you have received this on your way in, has a list of different roles in the morning that you can fill after church here to meet needs of practical uh, issues for people to come here. There's places of pickups. Maybe you can do one or twice a month. Like, I can give an hour and just serve to meet a practical need. You can see Shaw Marie in, in the Info Center afterwards. Paul says you can count on God to meet your needs because he was generous first. Can we pray?